Our lives are filled with story. One story after another. When you get to meet somebody and um, you want to know more about them or they want to know more about you, you start telling your stories. Well, this one time we did this and this and this. And, and that's good and normal and that's part of everybody's life. The thing with our story is we have an event or something that happens in our life and then we, we draw conclusions from that about life. So, uh, for instance, last Friday I went out for supper and on the way home my stomach, oh my. And then overnight it was colon blow all the way. I was terribly sick. I'm making this up. I was fine. So then we say the next day, what happened? Well, the restaurant was bad. I got bad food at the restaurant. And then we'll tell our friends, I ain't going back there. Last time I ate there, I got sick. That's a bad place to go. Now, we don't really know that that's the truth, right? Could have been a stomach bug, could have been stress, could have been something else. We don't know. But when we tell our stories, we draw conclusions. Um, or we say, again, last Friday, a coworker of mine was given a raise and a promotion. I deserve that raise and promotion. They always give raises and promotions to the young girls at work. Us old fat white guys, we never get promoted at work. See how this works? We have a story, an event in our life, and then we draw conclusions from that. We come to the point of what life is about. Um, or this is, this is one of my favorites. Somebody will say, I've been going through a really trying time right now. And I cannot wait until I figure out what God wants me to know so he'll stop doing this to me. See, see how this works? So something happens, we evaluate it in our heads and come to some conclusions. And we call that a story. And the process of coming to the conclusion is how you interpret life. And the way you view God and this world will always impact your interpretation. Now, we've been coming at this from many different angles. Several weeks ago, I preached a sermon on truth or consequences. Remember that? If you don't believe the truth, then you have to live with the consequences of the lie that you believe. This is another way at that same story, looking at that same thing. So it's normal and natural for us to have something to happen in our lives. We evaluate that story and come to a conclusion. That's normal. What I want to tell you is, at least for most of us, many times the interpretation of our story, the conclusion that we come to, isn't true. Could you believe that? That the way you've interpreted your life isn't true? Now, let me tell you, this really matters. Because that thing that happened to you when you were in grade school, that very traumatic thing that happened, and, and you drew conclusions about what that meant, that your dad didn't love you, that he was mean, that you had to do this to measure up to him, that your mom left and it was all your fault, that God doesn't love you, all those stories that you have from your past, they matter because they determine how you live today. It's who you'll become based on what you believe about this world. And so, uh, as we examine our stories, 
We need to be very careful about the conclusions that we draw. I've got an example from uh, Scripture. It's a crazy story. And uh, I'm just going to read it all the way through and then see what conclusions we draw from it. So let's start in Luke chapter 24, verse 13. To put this in context, Jesus has just left the empty tomb. Okay, so the tomb's empty. The, the women had gone back to the disciples and said, the tomb's empty and an angel said he's alive. Then this story happens. Now that same day, two of them were going down to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other every, about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, What are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things? he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, How foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to where they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were open, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. Is that a crazy story or what? Jesus meets these guys on the road and walks along with them. They don't recognize him. And he says, uh, hey, what you doing? And, and they say, mm, we're talking about Jesus. And what do you think is going on in this story? Interesting to me, there's a website called sermoncentral.com. If you ever have trouble sleeping, go there and read some of those sermons. They'll put you straight to sleep. <clears throat> I do lots of uh, research on sermoncentral.com. So I went there and looked up this passage. There are hundreds of thousands of sermons posted on SermonCentral.com. There are five about this passage. That's an incredibly small number, I'm telling you. People don't preach about this. You know why? By the way, you know what every sermon on there about this said? Maybe it's the conclusion you drew from this. The disciples were jacked up until they spent enough time with Jesus so that they could see him. That was everybody's sermon about this passage. Is that your interpretation? 
There's three interpretations I can think of for this story. The first one is this. The disciples were so jacked up they couldn't even understand or see Jesus until they walked with him and he taught them and they sat at the table and ate with him and finally after spending so much time with Jesus they were able to see Jesus. That's the number one interpretation from Sermon Central on this verse. Interesting interpretation, don't you think? You know what the second interpretation is? It's this. God is a jerk. Messing with these disciples? They're walking along the road. They're obviously all tore up about Jesus' death and the empty tomb. They don't know what to think. And Jesus comes and starts messing with them. He doesn't let them see who he is. He asks them silly questions. And, and then he, all the way to the end, when they finally see him, poof, he disappears. Now see, people won't say this is the most common interpretation for this story. But everybody's life shows that's the most common interpretation for that story. I sure hope I get over this cold. Because I know Jesus is trying to teach me something. But I don't know what it is and so he's keeping me sick till I learn it. Isn't that our most common interpretation of life's events? That God is messing with me and trying to teach me something or correct me or punish me or mold me into something that he wants me to be by making my life hard. Isn't that... Don't raise your hand. I already know. I know because that's our stories when we tell them, right? That, that, that God was testing. And when we use the word testing, I've been thinking about this word testing. Mostly testing has a negative connotation like setting a trap. When, when we normally use the word testing and think of God testing us, it seems that what we mostly mean is that there's some situation that I'm coming into and God is trying to find out if I have it or not and it's full of pitfalls and traps. Aha! See? You didn't have enough faith. Like these two goomers on the road to Emmaus didn't even have enough faith to see Jesus as he was walking with them. What's wrong with them? Now I want to tell you of a third interpretation of this story. A little different view maybe. And so I kind of want to go back through it again. So uh, let's look at the first verses 13 to 16. So these two disciples were on a seven mile walk. And someone joins them. And uh, yeah. There we go. You see what this says? They were kept. Jesus didn't let them know it was him. Why did he not let them know? Either he's a jerk or he's having fun. Could you believe that it's possible that Jesus is having fun? See, for most of us, that's not even a category. Because God is so holy and righteous and mighty that there's no way he could have fun. Jesus likes to have fun. Remember that one time when Peter and somebody were in the boat? And this guy on the shore hollers out to him, Hey, you catching anything? And they say no. And he says, Try the other side of the boat. Now, I don't know how many fishermen are here. But if you've fished all night and haven't caught anything, you know that every fisherman in the world has tried every lure, every spot, every line, everything they have, they have tried. 
Do you think the disciples hadn't thought of the other side of the boat? That's ridiculous, right? So Jesus says, try the other side. And they say, all right, smart guy, here. And they tried the other side of the boat, and they can't even bring all the fish in that they catch. Now that's funny. <laughs> then, Jesus is dead. He's come back to life. And these same guys are out in the boat fishing. No fish. He hollers out to them from the shore, catching anything? No. Try the other side of the boat. They try the other side of the boat. They can't even bring all the fish in. And as they're hauling them in, Peter says, Ah, it's the Lord! And he throws off his clothes or puts them on, I forget which, and runs, swims to the shore. It's a joke, right? You got inside jokes with people you tell? Same little words you use over and over because it's funny and cute and it's a kind of an inside story? Jesus is playing an inside story of try the other side of the boat. It's fun. Jesus is fun. When Jesus went to a wedding and they ran out of wine, he, he made more. 947 bottles more he made. I wonder how many they had to start the party. I'm not a big wine drinker, but my understanding of 947 bottles of wine is quite a bit. Like a pickup load, right? And the party's almost over and they run out. That's fun. Jesus is fun. Jesus loves you. Jesus loved these two guys. So he walks up beside them and he doesn't reveal himself. He doesn't let them know it's him. And, and then it, it just gets better. So he says, what are you, what are you talking about? Like Jesus, the creator of the universe, didn't know what these two guys were talking about. Right? All through his life, Jesus tells everybody what they're talking about. He says, I know what's in your heart. You don't even have to ask him the question he already knows. But these two guys, <clears throat> he says, what are you talking about? He's being fun. He's playing. Um, so they tell him, well, we're... And, and they're like, you don't know... Jesus we're talking about. Everybody should know this story. You don't know what happened. And, and then Jesus just keeps it going by saying, well, what things? Like Jesus doesn't know what things just happened to him. Right? So the only two conclusions I can draw here, either Jesus is a jerk and he's messing with these guys, or Jesus is having a fun time revealing himself to them. Like a Christmas present. Like a maze. Like a party. Right? A treasure hunt. So they said, well, about Jesus, and he was powerful, and uh, all that stuff of the next thing, and the chief priests, and the rulers, and he was crucified, and he came back to life. And then Jesus said, uh, verse 25, yeah, a couple of them there, one more. There we go. He said, you guys don't even know scripture. So here this stranger comes up to these guys. They're all Jewish. They all know scripture. They've all been at the temple. They've all been taught these things. He says, you guys don't even know your own scriptures. And he teaches it to them. And from Moses, the prophets, all the way through, he says everything that scripture says concerning Jesus. But he did not reveal to them that he was Jesus. They still don't know. They just think he's some stranger along the walk, the road to Emmaus. And they're having, you don't even know what happened to Jesus? And he said, well, I know this. And he tells them all of scripture that says everything about Jesus. Then it gets better. Verse 28. So they, they got to Emmaus. 
And, and Jesus continued on as if he were going further. Was Jesus traveling someplace? No, he just appeared and walked along with these guys. He wasn't going someplace. He was doing as if. I'm telling you, this is a fun story. Jesus loved these two guys. He's having a great time. They don't know it yet. So then they begged him, oh, come on and stay with us. And, and finally he said, oh, okay, I'll go. What was his plan all along, do you think? Yeah. So then he was at the table, verse 30, uh, and he broke bread, gave thanks, and uh, then their eyes were open. <gasps> it's Jesus! And then they had a group hug and a long laugh, and they sat there and chatted for the rest of the evening. It was awesome. Except, poof, Jesus is gone. Do you think it's possible that Jesus could treat you like this? That he, he could be in your life in this way? Having a fun time with you? Revealing himself to you in glorious ways? What do you, what do you think they did after this? Oh, that Jesus. He's so honoring. I don't know what they, well, I know what they did. It says in the next verses. They immediately got up and went back to Jerusalem and told everybody they'd seen Jesus. They were so excited. They were not upset. They weren't mad. They hadn't been tricked. They hadn't been pranked. They enjoyed the, they enjoyed the encounter. Is it, is it possible that maybe you have misinterpreted stories in your life? And you come away with the, the I suck response or the God sucks response? Misinterpreting lie? When maybe God doesn't suck and you don't suck either. Maybe there's a close, intimate relationship that you just don't understand. You know, this is the, this is the truth with many of the stories of your life. Things happen to you and you drew conclusions based on that. And those conclusions have become the deep-seated beliefs of your life. And you're living your whole life based on those things that you absolutely believe are true. But I'm going to tell you they're probably not true. You know the number one thing kid, kids think when parents get divorced? Kids believe that it was their fault that their parents got divorced. Kids believe that. You, you kids who've grown up, you, you now say, well, I know it wasn't my fault. And I, I know you know it wasn't, but you still believe it was. It leaves an impact on you. Children that have been abused... It was their fault. They always, you know, and we, we take these stories and the things that have happened to us, good things and bad things, and we draw conclusions really about God. And so when we talked a few weeks ago about the truth or consequences, if you don't believe the truth, then that means you're believing a lie. And when you live your life based on the lie, you live in the consequences of not believing the truth. My favorite one, and it's so... Uh, appropriate right now since the lottery is at what 109 billion or something like that some crazy number in the lottery imagine if you won that okay first of all I would never believe that I won the lottery right I'm the most unlucky guy in the world how could I win the lottery 
By the way, that's an agreement I just gave, gave with you. But let's say that I did win the, I did win, and they put it in my bank. Well, you know how much, how weird my bank statement would look with all those numbers in it. It's never been there before. All those numbers, and I'd say that the bank made a mistake. That's not true. I still only have forty-two dollars. I don't care that there's a thirteen billion in front of it. At the end, there's forty-two, and that's how much I have. How would I live my life if I believed I had forty-two dollars in the bank? Just like I always do. I wouldn't believe that I had the, thir- the 1.3, whatever it is, billion, whatever crazy number, imaginary number it is right now. See, that's the truth that most of us live under. The truth is, I won the lottery. Jesus, the baby, the empty tomb, Jesus, came to give me new life. My sins, forgiven. I'm under no accusation from God, no condemnation. Instead, I'm holy and righteous because Jesus gave me a new heart. I've been set free. I now have the law of God. His commands have been written on my heart. That means that my desire is to do what he wants. And he loves me. He actually even likes me. The God of the universe likes me. In fact, I might even be his favorite. No offense to you. That's what God thinks of me. Yet if I don't believe that, what conclusions do I draw? That that I have less than I have. I actually have the $1 billion in my account. Instead, I'm slaving and working like I have 42. That's the way most of us live our lives because we misinterpret life's events and life stories and we don't believe God. So, we have to pursue the truth with our eyes open. Now, religion would tell us that we need to study and question and evaluate the evidence and come up with the right conclusion. And I'm going to tell you, that probably won't work for you. It probably doesn't work at all. Instead, we have someone who helps us. He's called the Holy Spirit. And he's here to remind us of the things that Jesus taught and to reveal the mysteries of the kingdom. So, we've got to go back and do a little rework. Do some homework over that we've previously done and settled. We've got to go back to those old stories and also to the new stories. But back to the old stories... And find a different interpretation for what happened. We've got to be set free from our past. So that our future can be one where we live in harmony and unity with Jesus. Because it is these old things, these broken places in our heart that come from the agreements that we've made about the, the stories and events that happen to us that keep us in bondage. Uh, Neil Anderson said this. If what you believe is not based on the truth then what you feel will not be based in reality. Many of us are very much in touch with our feelings. We know how we feel. But many times our feelings are jacked up. Right? And they're jacked up because we don't believe the truth. Um, Believing the truth will set us free. 
We're not going to come to the truth by our own research, by our own discovery. We're going to come to the truth because the Holy Spirit reveals it to us. It's only through the power of the Holy Spirit that it can be revealed. So, we need to go back and do some reevaluation. Go back and look at some of those stories, some old ones and some new ones. And we're going to have to ask Jesus, Jesus, what did I come to believe about this story, this event in my life? It's not true. So that we can change our minds, have our hearts changed, and be set free from the agreements about our past that we've made. Um, see, if we're not willing to enter into that process, then we will remain in bondage to it. And I want you to know, it's probably going to hurt. It's probably going to be a lot like when you have a splinter in your finger and it hurts, but you kind of get used to it. But you know it's only going to get worse until somebody gets the needle out and digs the splinter out of your finger, and that's going to hurt. You might even shed a tear. But you know your finger is not going to get better until the splinter comes out. Well, that's the way it is with each one of us. We have these broken, wounded places in our hearts that Jesus came. He said, I've come to heal the brokenhearted and set the captives free. Um, you, you need to do this. You do. Everyone needs to do this. And I, and I wish that it was a one-time process like going through the car wash, but it's not. It's more like an onion where you peel off a layer and then you peel off a layer and you peel off another layer. But you will not experience uh, kingdom life, living like Jesus is king, until you get these places in your heart healed. So the good news is this. We have something coming to help you with this. It's called renovation. Start January 31st. 1.30, did I get the date right? I guess so. Uh, awesome. One thirty p.m. Be about an hour, an hour and a half. It'll give you an opportunity to re-examine the foundation of your life and what it's built on. And then enter into a time of renovation. And then once some of these things are fixed and the foundation's right, then look forward to the expansion. We're going to add on to the house, not just renovate it. Um, many of you know that you need this. Because you know, you can see the scars in your life from the deep wounds you've had in your past that still impact you today. There are some of you here that don't think you need this. And you're the ones that need it the most. Now, I don't mean to be offensive, but Jesus said, I've come for the sick, not the well. And if you're sitting here today thinking you're one of the well, first step is we've got to get you convinced of the truth that you're sick so that Jesus can apply to you. Um, We'll take some serious assessment of your own life. It'll be a nice, safe environment where you can do this. There'll be people you can share these things with. We'll learn some things. We'll learn some tools. And, and, and then we'll put them into practice. Because this is not just education. This is training. We're going to do some things through this process. It will produce freedom in life because of Jesus Christ. It will. It will change you.
This is, in fact, the good news of the kingdom. This is where we have life and freedom by letting Jesus come in and restore, renovate, redeem our hearts and our lives. And so I know I'm making a pretty strong pitch for it, but it's because I love you, because I love me, and I need this, and you need this. And it's when we get through this stuff that we are then set and fit to work in the kingdom. Then we can take the attention and focus off of just me and put it on others. Those who need this too, because I can say me too. I've been there too. I know what you're going through. So a lot of people have addictions, right? They're hooked on drugs. They're hooked on alcohol. They're hooked on porn. They're hooked on sex. And those are, those are terrible addictions. And other people have addictions too that society doesn't think near as bad, but we're still using just as much to get life from instead of getting life from God. Like coffee, or brownies, or movies, or romance novels, or hobbies, or family, or friends. All these things that we use as addictions to meet the needs of our heart. And we all have them. <laughs> you know, the... the a lot of them fall into the category of OCD. Isn't it fun how we, we take all the things of life and we put medical terms on them so they don't feel near as bad? Oh, he's just OCD. No, wait a minute. That's an addiction. You're addicted to having to have the cup stacked this way. It's not from God. It's not freedom, right? That's bondage. <laughs> these, these behaviors you have to do, it's an addiction. Let's call it what it is. It's not freedom. What I'm offering you is what Jesus offered you, which is life and freedom. It can change everything about you. Everything. Anybody here besides me want that? Because I want that. I want everything to change so I can be restored, to be the man that God created me to be, so that you can be the person that God created you to be, restored to the image that he, he created us to in the first place. That's what I want. And that's what I want for everybody. And so that's why I'm real excited about this thing. We're going to start at Sunday afternoons, come to church, go eat some food, and then come back for an hour, and then, then we'll be done. I think it'll take about, uh, it's probably like a, is it 12 weeks? 9, 12, 10? To, to, get, to get through it. It's not a, not a huge commitment. By the time we're done, it'll be warm outside. And maybe it'll be warm inside, too, when your heart's on fire. Let's pray. Jesus, when we, when we look at you and the stories that have been recorded about you, it blows me away how much you love us, how fun you are, how extravagant you are, how true you are. Jesus, I want to be closer and closer to you every day. There's a lot of things that keep me from doing that. A lot of things that I voluntarily stay in bondage to and Jesus, I bring those things to you now. I submit those things to you. And I invite you. I open the door of my heart and ask you to come in and heal my broken heart and set me free. Now, Jesus, I've drawn many conclusions from life, from the stories of my life, from the things that have happened to me and the things that I've observed in others. And I need to go back through some of those and get a new interpretation, maybe to discover the truth. And Jesus, there's no way I can do that without you. I need you to reveal those to me. 
not only the stories of my past, but the stories that are yet to happen, the ones that happen today and tomorrow. And Jesus, I don't want to draw my own conclusions. I want to know the truth. And it's only the truth that from you, from the Holy Spirit, that can reveal to me. And it is, in fact, the truth that will set me free. So as things happen to me, may I bring this to you and ask you to reveal to me the truth of what's going on so that I won't be confused and lost and deceived, but I'll be walking in the truth, walking in the light, in close unity and harmony with you. Jesus, there's no way, no way I can do this without you. I need you. Come to us now. Come to all of us and reveal these things. We pray it in your name. Amen.